Can you, is it sound a little better? Okay. I'm not going to yell. I'm not going to be one of these screaming preachers because uh, I couldn't if I wanted to right now. Uh, I was out all day yesterday, and this is a bad allergy time. And I walked in the, the rock and started talking to Jeff and immediately started coughing. I thought, oh, no. So uh, pray for my voice uh, that I'll get through this and also pray for emotions. <laughs> I, uh, I, when the Lord did a work in my heart in, uh, in 98, I was, became a big crybaby, <laughs> and, uh, and uh, what I've endured the last few years has not helped that. See, I'm already starting. Uh, uh, you know, and I, I've sunk to a no low. I know that things are really bad with my emotions. Is uh, I, I was being a good husband, and I watched a Hallmark movie with my wife. And I won't be negative about those, but I even started tearing up at the end of one. I thought, oh, Lord, you know, this... <laughs> This is just, this is just a new low. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, um, uh, we had this really cool place. I just kind of found this place on the internet uh, while we were on vacation, and we were down in southeast Oklahoma. Very different than Enid. Okay, Enid has, you know, the salient feature in my mind of Northwest Oklahoma is the big, beautiful sky. I love the sky, especially. Last night I had a, about 30 minutes outside, and you could see a little bit of the west horizon, and just the colors were beautiful, and and it was quiet. Um, but southeast Oklahoma, man, you've got clear water and trees and hills. And this place we had had an upper balcony, and so I could see we were probably at least 100 feet over the off the river on a bluff, and you could see across the mountains and the trees and the mist and and I was just like, wow, what a great place to do a devotion. And so I was reading, and I'd also listen to podcasts. And, and uh, the podcast I was having to listen to this one morning was uh, um, R.C. Sproul, and it was on Isaiah 6. And so that's what we're going to get to hear today. And kind of what helped confirm that for me is uh, uh, Jeff's encouragement. Uh, I went through the little speaker simulcast with Dell Tackett's ministry, and I know those of you that are in uh, Jeff's small group have already started the engagement project. And so, uh, man, and he went through the same uh, same Bible verses, and I thought, okay, it's it's done. This is what we're doing. And so uh, that's how we got here. So anyway, let me just challenge you to think for a second. Uh, has has have you met anybody or had an event that has really changed your life or really had a big impact on your life? I know for me. Uh, it was when we got to India in 1998, January 1 of 1998, and I won't share my whole testimony, um, but that was that was when the Lord got a hold of my heart. And I had been in church for a long time, and so, you know, Melissa, where did Melissa go? I know she's here somewhere, but, you know, you said this morning there may be somebody here that doesn't know the Lord, and, you know, Karen and I's heart is we sat in church for a long time. Uh, you know, I grew up going to church, uh, and as a young adult, I remember when we got married, we were in churches, and uh, it wasn't until the Lord took us almost halfway around the world, took, we were on a medical mission trip, and, uh, and stripped me of everything that the Lord got a hold of my life and changed. Um, it made me think about uh, a scene, and I'm a, I'm a movie guy, I'm not a, as big a sports guy as some of the other guys around but I love movies, and uh, old movies, new movies, um, and there's a movie that came out in 1959, so for you young folks, 
You may not have seen this. It's a Charlton Heston movie, and it's Ben-Hur. And, and there's a scene in there. So Ben-Hur uh, uh, was kind of aristocratic Jewish man, and he's falsely accused, and he becomes a prisoner of Rome. And uh, there's a scene where he's chained up, and they're marching them. They're getting ready to serve in the galleys of the Roman ships, which means, you know, you get tied to oars and you're sitting there rowing all day. And uh, But there's a scene. In fact, when I was looking up the scene in YouTube, I thought, I need to see that scene again. And, in fact, it was scene was entitled The Most Dramatic Scene of All Movie History, which I'm not sure is really true. But it is a dramatic scene. And so, you know, he's he's dying of thirst. And, you know, he's he's fallen on the ground. And he's begging for water, and the Roman soldier's like, no water for you, no water for you. And the shadow comes, you know, overshadows him on the ground, and it's Jesus Christ, and he gives him water. And uh, in a later scene, when they're crucifying Jesus, he's like, he changed my life, you know. Now, I don't know if Charlton Heston really saved or not. I'm, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know, but, uh, but it, it's a great scene. Um, and... Um, you know, uh, you could tell that his life was changed. Even though it was just a movie, it was just a dramatic scene where his life was changed forever. So let's read through Isaiah 6. Get your Bibles out. And uh, we're going to read through the first nine verses. In the year that King Hosiah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were the seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, and the whole earth is full of his glory. And the sound of their voices, the doorpost and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King and the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he has taken with tongs from the altar. Which he, it, with it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. Then I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. And he said, go and tell this people, be ever hearing, but never understanding, be ever seeing, but never perceiving. So I want to look, uh, actually, let's, let's take a second and pray real quick. Uh, Heavenly Father, we just, uh, we thank you for your word. Father, this is one of the more humbling experiences of my life to stand here on a pulpit that so faithfully preaches your word. Give me your words to say this morning, and just I just pray for all those that are here or listening that uh, you would just rid uh, our hearts of any distraction, and just may your words have its desired effect on our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So I wanted uh, to break this. Um, I guess you have to have, or you don't have to have, but most people have like three points. And so the three areas we're going to look at, number one is we're going to say, we're going to talk about what Isaiah saw around him. Okay, we're going to focus on that. Then we're going to see what Isaiah saw in himself. And then we're going to talk about the need that Isaiah saw. And so those first four verses, just to summarize, we see the Lord on his throne. It says his train of his robe filled the temple. Um, We talk about these seraphim, 
with six wings. And then we hear, and you can just, you know, think about all the senses. You know, we have senses. We don't think about our senses working all the time. We have touch. We have feel. We can see. We can hear. Um, and, uh, and, uh, and so not only is, his, is, his, is he seeing things, but his olfactory sense. He can hear uh, things. And you hear this, holy, holy, holy. And, you know, in fact, it even says that the doorpost shook. Um, Again, a movie thing, and only the older people are going to know about this. Um, But, you know, before we had surround sound and all this in theaters, back in the late 60s, early 70s, they had these these, uh, movies with surround sound. And uh, they were these giant speakers they would put in the back of the theater. I don't know if they ever came to eat it. I remember going to Tulsa and going to these movies. So they have these huge speakers in the back of the uh, auditorium. And this is back when, you know, you had a movie theater with maybe one or two screens. They didn't have a bunch. But anyway, and uh, in fact, I remember watching Torah, Torah, Torah. I think some other earthquake, which is a job. You know, Charlton Heston made all these uh, disaster movies. And uh, anyway, and it was a real low frequency would come out of those and the place would shake. Well, this place, not only could he hear things, see things, but... But it said the doorpost, things were shaking. And this wasn't from the Lord's voice. It says it was from the seraphim's voice. So the seraphim's voice were, were so uh, reverberant or loud that the whole thing was shaking, which is, you know, just got to be amazing. And then it said God spoke and the whole temple was filled with smoke and the foundations and the threshold shook then too. Um, there's a couple other scenes I want to go to here just to show the presence of God uh, and so that we really focus on that. I think that's a key part of this, uh, this section. So if you go to Exodus 19, verse 16, and of course this is a scene where uh, Israel is wandering and they get to Mount Sinai. And on verse 16 it says, On the morning of the third day there was thunder and lightning and a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. And, and, and this was so magnificent. They said everybody in the camp trembled. You know, and I don't think I don't think Israel were a bunch of weenies. I think I think that it had to be a magnificent sight. They they saw things, they heard things, and I think things were shaken. And it says, Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire, and smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. So that's one scene. Other scenes are scenes we've looked at more recently that we're going to go to. So we're going to go to Revelations 4. And, you know, in Revelations, I think it's interesting when you start kind of dissecting things and looking at things. I mean, we get, you know, I think it's amazing that God gives us glimpses of heaven. And I don't think that these are uh, visions or things that aren't really real. It's just that I think that we are so limited, man is so limited in how we can describe what we're seeing. You know, and, 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 and there's things seen. In fact, I think Paul was the one who said, you know, I can't describe what I saw. It's, it's too great when he was caught up in the third heaven. But Revelations 4.4 4 said, and says, 
After this I looked, and therefore before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were twenty-four other thrones, and seated on them were twenty-four elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their head. And from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These were the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne were what was what was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in the back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second like an ox, the third like a, or had a face like a man, and the fourth like a flying eagle. And each of the four living creatures had six wings and were covered with eyes around, even with under their wings. Day and night, they forever stopped they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who is, who was, and is, and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne, saying, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. All right, one more scene. Uh, it's also in Revelations. Go to Revelations 11, and we'll start in 19. Actually, two more scenes. Sorry, I told you wrong. Uh, so just verse 19, it said, Then God, God's temple in heaven was opened, and within his temple was seen the Ark of his Covenant. And there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and earthquake in a severe hailstorm. I mean, just, I mean when, you, when you ponder this, I mean, this is just amazing. You know, and I know we casually read things. I casually read things. But when you start looking at things and letting your imagine try and figure out really what this may have looked like, I think is, 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 is truly amazing. Last scene, uh, Revelations 15, 5 through 9. And again, this is John writing. After this I looked and I saw in heaven the temple, and that is the tabernacle of the covenant law, and it was open. And out of the temple came the seven angels with the seven plagues. They were dressed in clean, shining linen, wore golden sashes around their chest. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls filled with the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. And so here's several instances here where we get, to, we get a glimpse into, into heaven and the throne of God. And we hear the seraphim. And what are they saying? Holy, holy, holy. You know, and, and, I, and as I was reading about this and, and listening to sermons on this, you know, this is called, you know, from a theological perspective, this is called the trihagion. And you might say, well, why is holy mentioned three times? And if you look in the Jewish culture or writing, 
they didn't say, you know, it made me think about President Trump, and he's always using very, very. You know, this is very, very good, or we spent a very, very long time on this. Well, in, in, in the Jewish uh, culture, I don't know if the language had the word very or not. Robert Paul, you might help us on that. I don't know. But, but, uh, but the way they emphasized things is they just repeated them. And so the fact that they said holy, holy, holy is accentuating that attribute of God. And uh, one of the things R.C. Sproul said, you know, I think it's interesting that he didn't say, they don't say mercy, 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 or love, love, love. And it's not that those are not attributes of God. They are. But it's the word holy, holy, holy. The other reason that, that, it's, uh, that it's mentioned three times also has a tie-in to the Trinity, to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And that's another reason that there's three there. And then the angels, or the seraphim, I'm sorry, say, the whole earth is full of your glory. You know, and as I was doing my devotion, I got to see that. And it was just, it was amazing. Again, we had, we had our first two days there, it had rained. And it, usually there were breaks in the rain. And so that you've all been in the mountains, I'm sure, and seen the low clouds. You know, the mountains in Oklahoma aren't that tall, you know. Uh, but they were, they were high enough and the clouds were low enough that you could see the mist and the clouds settling through the mountains. And what a picture. The leaves were just starting to change. You know, it was a peaceful morning, hardly a breeze. And it was just, just you know, magnificent. And I was looking at that, and I'm like, Lord, how can, how can anybody look at this and think that this evolved? There's no way. There's no way. And, you know, if you look at Romans 1, you know, it says that, we, that man suppresses the truth. And the truth is before them, that that God created this, and the and the glory of the Lord shows forth in this, and we have to be careful. It also says in Romans one, we're not to worship the creation, are we? We're supposed to worship the Creator. So the next the next point here is insight. What Isaiah saw in himself, and what's Isaiah's response? Woe to me! I cried, I am ruined. In fact, that ruin there means destroyed. I mean, like, zap, big time. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And we, it reminds me, too, of, of other points in Scripture where man has encountered, and there's countless numbers of uh, other experiences that are written in Scripture, and I just picked a few instances where man encounters a living God and how they respond. And, you know, it made me think of Peter, um, and it said, uh, this is when Peter uh, was was requested by Jesus, go cast your net. Remember, Peter wasn't too anxious. He'd already been out fishing all night, haven't caught a thing. And Jesus said, no, cast your net out. And, and reluctantly, Peter's like, okay, you know, throws his nets overboard and he brings in all these fish. And what does he say? And it says, when Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. In Revelations 1.17, uh, when John sees Christ, it says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. 
Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. Ezekiel 1. Uh, if you want to look this up, this would start in verse 25. And it says, Then there came a voice from above the vault over their heads as they stood with lowered wings. And above the vault over their heads was what looked like a throne of lapis lazuli. And high above on the throne was a figure like that of a man. And I saw that from what happened to be his waist up, he looked like a glowing metal as full of fire. And that from there down he looked like fire and brilliant light surrounded him like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day, so was the radiance around him. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of God. And when I saw it, I fell face down, and I heard the voice of one speaking. If we have never... Before I go on to that point, the next point, you know, he fell face down. And, and, you know, I just wonder what it's going to be like when we get to heaven. You know, there's an app on your phone called FaceTime. It, where we can, you can call other people and you can see them. And, and, uh, but I think we're going to be spending a lot of face time, and that face time in heaven is going to be down. I just, I just can't believe that we're not, even in, our, even in our resurrected state, that we're not going to at first be overwhelmed by what we see. Um, I may be wrong on that, but uh, I think it's going to be magnificent. If we have never, I'm going to make a few statements here. It says, if we have never been deeply convicted of our sin in simple nature, and this is, this is something from Wearsby's commentary too, we likely have never encountered the holy and living God. Uh, Pastor Bob, on a Sunday night, you know, he's going through questions, and we talked about repentance, and I think he gave a really good discussion on that. Um, but one of the things that I think is clear is that if you have never been broken over your sin, then, then I would really wonder if you've really encountered the true and living God. Um, I know um, uh, just a part of my testimony was, I mentioned when we went on that mission trip in 1998, uh, and Karen will attest to that, this, I cried. I cried so much. And a lot of that is because the Lord, you know, I was blinded, and the Lord lifted the curtains off my, from my eyes, and showed me who I was. And uh, I was cut to the core uh, of, of my sin and who I had become. I thought, you know what, I was fooling myself. And I thought I was in pretty good shape. But I was far, far from him. And it was at that time that the Lord redeemed me. And, uh, you know, Melissa, I think that there may be somebody in here that may have been in church a long time that, or may be listening that may not know the Lord um, and, you know, things that, that the Lord began to change in my life is, I think, what he does all, to all of us. Uh, you know, he changed my affections. All of a sudden, I wanted to be home. Uh, it wasn't that I didn't love my family, but I, I loved my work more. I, I was hanging out at the hospital. I wanted all the glory and working in the ICUs, and I thought that was great and cool. But all of a sudden, I didn't want to be there anymore. I wanted to be home with my family. And my affections for other things begin to change. Matthew Henry states, note, talking about um, Isaiah again, note that those fittest to be employed for God who are low in their own eyes and are made deeply sensible of their own weakness and unworthiness. 
And I can tell you, I felt part of that this week preparing for this. I think this is one of the more humbling experiences is to be in this pulpit. It's one thing to give announcements. That's not too bad. I'm not too responsible. I can mess those up pretty bad and still be okay, which I usually do. Um, but uh, but um, the, the truth of the matter, to sit here or stand here and bring the Word of God from a place that the Word of God has been so hallowed and valued to a fellowship that has valued the Word of God is, is humbling. Isaiah 6, 6, let's go back to our verses again, our, our core text. It says, Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from the tongs from the altar. And with it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sins atoned for. And, uh, and we get a picture of what that altar looked like. And I won't go to that section, but if you go to Revelation 8, you see the altar. Daniel 10 15 through 19, it says, While he was saying to me, I bowed with my face toward the ground and was speechless. Then one who looked like a man touched my lips, and I opened my mouth and began to speak. I said to the one standing before me, I am overcome with anguish because of the vision, my Lord, and I feel very weak. How can I, your servant, talk with you, my Lord? My strength is gone, and I can hardly breathe. Again, the one who looked like a man touched me and gave me strength. And it said, do not be afraid, you who are highly esteemed. Peace, be strong now, be strong. And then one other verse um, before as we get finish this section. Let's go to Matthew 10. In verse 16 through 20. And if you'll notice, I'm not commenting as much. I'm letting, I'm reading God's word. I think what God is says, says is a lot better what I say. This is Matthew 10, verse 16. It says, I am sending you out as sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what you will say or how you will say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. For you will not, for you will not be, I'm sorry, let me read that again. For it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. And so, you know, the Lord anoints and the Lord uh, uh, anointed uh, Isaiah's lips to speak, and he was a prophet. In our Tuesday morning uh, uh, group, we just got with a study, got through with a study of First and Second Kings. And I think one of the things that really spoke to me as we studied that were the prophets were there. You know, that was a that was a rough job. Uh, and and they had they were called. God just said, "Hey, go tell the king." This, and you know, most of the time those messages weren't pleasant messages, and and most of these kings, if you remember, weren't too righteous, right? And so they had to go to the king and tell him things. And uh, I was just amazed these men faithfully followed the Lord and told God what they were supposed to say. And just as as these prophets of the Old Testament were given what to say. We, as New Testament believers, with God's Spirit, says in, in there that we will, by His Spirit, be given what to say. 
got a couple of things from Wearsby that I thought were very poignant. Um, uh, Wearsby says, uh, you know, Isaiah was brought to great, great conviction, and he confessed that he was a sinner. Unclean lips are caused by an unclean heart. Matthew twelve thirty four through 35 says, You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good, of the good stored upon him, and an evil brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. Isaiah cried out, cleanse, to be cleansed inward. And David cried out uh, in Psalm 51.10. It says, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Isaiah's cleansing came by blood and fire. And it was verified by the word of the Lord. This next statement from Wearsby says, before we can minister to others, we must permit God first to minister to us. Before we pronounce woe upon others, we must sincerely say, woe is me. Isaiah's conviction led to confession, and confession leads to cleansing. 1 John 5 through 10, 1 John 1, 5 through 10 says, this is the message we have heard from him and declared to you, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us all from sin. If we claim to be without sin... We did deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all our unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. And so, you know, this just reminds us, reminds us of our daily walk with the Lord. And part of that daily walk with the Lord is confession of sin before him. And then we can, we can throw ourselves on the grace and the mercy. You know, I, I'm so, Melissa, I'm so glad of, of just this whole program. God's grace and mercy and how that we can praise him, we can worship him because of the fact that through Jesus we are cleansed and, and we are empowered by his spirit to be his messengers. And just remember that uh, that uh, um, as a messenger, that's not necessarily a pleasant task, is it? You know, we think about how the prophets were treated. Well, let's go on to the third part. It said the vision. So I see it, Isaiah sees the need. And in verse eight, it says, "Then I heard a voice voice of the Lord saying, I'm sorry, I'm I'm probably going to go as long as pastor. I was going to try and give you all some grace, but I don't know how long this is going to go." <laughs> so sorry. Um, then I <laughs> then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, "Whom shall I send, and who will go for us?" And I said, "Here am I. Send me." And that's Isaiah saying that, not me. And immediately Isaiah is ready and willing to serve his master. Wearsby never underestimate what God can do with a willing worker, and that needs to be us. We need to be His willing workers. 
Um, we have been gave, given that same high call. Matthew 28. Okay, we have to go there. We have to finish up here. So let's get to Matthew 28, uh, 16 through 20. And it says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they were without someone... I'm sorry. When they saw him, they... Oh, I messed up here somewhere. I messed... Yep. I tell you what, let me let me look this up real quick. Or somebody has is anybody at Matthew twenty eight? Claire? <laughs> Why don't you read that? Twenty eight, sixteen through twenty. And so here's our commission. We all know that, but how are we doing with that? I have to confess to you, you know, I have good ambitions. I mean, I get revved up here on Sunday morning, Sunday night, I'm ready to go. And anybody ever stepped on a treadmill that's going too fast? That's what I feel like Monday morning. I feel like I step on that treadmill and all of a sudden we're just going fast and I'm just trying to keep up. Um, but no, we're, we're called to be a beacon to a dark world. I, I had to make some changes this morning, and so I lost a few verses there. Claire, thank you for helping me with that. Okay, the last verse we're going to look up. And I, I, luckily I remembered my, my, uh, where we were going. Uh, and if you want to look it up, it's Romans 10. And we're going to go to start at uh, verse 15, Romans 10:15. And actually, let's back up to uh, 14, okay? It says, How then will they call on him who they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, as it is written How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. You know, that beauty is not necessarily something that the world beholds. Again, I've mentioned several times how the prophets, and if you go to Hebrews 11, you know, it talks about all these prophets. And some were sawn in two, thrown in pits. Uh, most of them were killed. If you go to the apostles and you look at the New Testament, what happened to the apostles? Well, out of, out of the twelve, eleven were murdered, were killed for their faith. John, uh, according to church tradition, was, was boiled in oil and, then, and survived that by some miracle and then was later exiled on an island called Patmos. If, uh, if, if you want to read about martyrs, and I know there's some of you that have probably read at least part of this, uh, there's a book 
a collection book. In fact, I think they've had later editions where they've expanded it, but it's called Fox's Book of Martyrs. And you can read about those that have given their life for the faith, that they had those feet of beauty in God's eyes, but the world did not esteem them. John Huss is, uh, is uh, somebody you may never heard of. Uh, he lived in the 1400s, and uh, uh, he has a famous quote. And just so you know, Huss in, I think he's Hungarian. Am I right, Daniel, do you think? Yeah, Eastern European, we'll say. Uh, but anyway, Huss means goose, all right? For, so that'll make the quote maybe make a little bit more sense. It says, today you will cook a goose. And he was burned at the stake. So this is serious. He was, he was being burned at the stake. And it says, but in a hundred years, you will hear a swan sing. And you will prove unable to boil or roast him. And that swan he's talking about is Martin Luther. And in fact, one of the symbols you will see on some of the things associated with Martin Luther are swans, which I think is amazing. So I just conclude today. Um, and again, I want to plug, just as we did about, I lose track of time, 12 or 13 years ago, we went through the Truth Project in our small groups. And again, I know Jess already started this engagement project from Dell Tackett. Uh, one of the, our goals is for all the small groups to go through this series, too. And Dell Tackett... Um, has two questions, and I'll leave these questions with you. And you can answer these as you go through these series. He says, why did D Jesus leave? Why didn't he just stay? And then the second question, I think is a question that is pertinent to what we talked about today, is, is why does God send? And what's our role as a part of that sending? I think we know. I'll, I'll, uh, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and, and Father, we are challenged. Um, you know, following you isn't necessarily easy, but it is sure great. And uh, Father, make us, compel us uh, to be those that sing your praises continuing, continually with our life. May your gospel just permeate us so much that we can't help but share the gospel with others. Give us a love for the lost and, and those that are perishing, because we have the truth. You've given us guard of that truth, and we know that we need to share it. Father, I just ask that we would all go forth and share that truth readily with those that cross our path. In your precious name, amen.